Hey, I'm wondering what your favorite uh, chrismon or symbol of Jesus is. Anybody have a favorite? Your favorite one, one you one you like? Uh, mine's the pelican. You can research the pelican and why the pelican is a symbol of Christ later later on. Uh, this was the longest driving Thanksgiving I have ever had in my life. As a kid, we would drive from Manchester down to, to uh, Moreland, Georgia to see my grandparents. That was about a four-hour drive. I thought that was an eternity, uh, driving four hours to Atlanta until uh, I had a son move to Florida. And uh, not North Florida, not barely in Florida, but way down in Florida. And uh, two days, 741 miles times two, almost 15 100 miles in the car, uh, you began to learn about time. I remember when uh, our children were smaller and they would ask the question that all children ask in the car, how much further? Uh, that the way that they related time, it wasn't so much on the watch, but uh, it was more of VeggieTales. So we would tell them, oh, only four VeggieTales. That's two hours. Oh, only two VeggieTales more. One one vegetal. So that's how they how they marked times. And and now we, we went to Chattanooga, picked up the two in Chattanooga, drove down drove down to Florida. And now they ask how much further I say, you have a phone with Google Maps, figure it out, you know. Um, times have changed a little bit. How do you mark time? How do you mark time? The early Christians marked time. Uh, first they marked time weekly. The first day of the week. They called it the Lord's Day. Sunday. Why do they call the first day of the week the Lord's Day? Well, well, first, it's the first day of creation. The first day of week is the first day of creation. Why else might the early Christians have marked time with the first day of the week? The day that the empty tomb was discovered. The day that Christ appeared to disciples. And so... Sunday and Sunday church gathering became a weekly anniversary of the resurrection. So the early Christians began marking time with the first day of the week. And then they began marking time daily. Uh, they would pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Psalms 55 says this, I praise you in the evening Morning and at noon, three times a day, early Christians would pray the Lord's Prayer as, as an act of praise. And then somewhere along the line, somebody read or remembered Psalms 119, 164. At midnight, I will rise to give you thanks. And so now there was four times to pray the Lord's Prayer and to give thanks. Anybody got up at midnight? To, any, anybody just woken up and praise the Lord? Maybe not set your alarm uh, woken up. And so they began marking the day, uh, marking time, marking the day by times of prayer, three times a day, and then it got to seven times a day, and then eight times a day. And the cycle developed of remembering Christ throughout the day, one's labors in the midst of worldly concerns. Sometimes if you drive a lot, you can Remember Christ in the midst of your day, in the midst of worldly concerns, when you stop at a stop sign or a stoplight. That's a good time, a good break time. They would mark the day weekly 
and daily. And so over time, marking time became more and more important for Christians and more and more detailed and more and more intent on focusing on Jesus. So welcome to Advent. Advent, the first season of the Christian year. We Christians don't hold time or mark time like the rest of the world. We have this other calendar, don't we? <laughs> that other calendar that should be secondary, where our time being marked weekly, daily, yearly, monthly with Jesus should be primarily. And so this other calendar that we have, it tracks our appointments, our school activities, our birthdays, anniversaries, our vacations, cultural celebrations, and sporting events. And so Advent marks the beginning and the awakening. It's our new year. Today is our new year. It's the mark of a year ordered around the life of Jesus. One of the simplest explanations I have found is on the front of your bulletin cover. It says the awakening calendar there. And so in that upper left-hand corner, uh, you will see there in the upper left-hand corner on that awakening calendar, you see a cloud and the season of Advent is a descending season where our prayer is come, Lord Jesus. And then at the bottom there in the trough of that or the, or the valley, you see a what? A manger, a manger down in the trolley in the valley where we celebrate Jesus's arrival the first time. Advent is a season of anticipation. It calls together our attention into the realities of Jesus's arrival. One is past, one is future. One, Jesus came in vulnerability. The next, Jesus will come in power. One, Jesus came quietly. The next, with a trumpet sound. Jesus is coming back, Advent. Jesus is, came as a baby, Advent. And so we turn our hearts as a church family toward Advent in this season, a season of anticipation, a season of waiting for him to reveal himself to us in profound ways. And so during the season of anticipation, we're going to explore the family story of Jesus with expectation that God is going to meet us in our longing. Family. Family speaks of commonality, familiarity, and history. We all come from someone, somewhere, and from something. You have roots. You have a people. You have a place. And you have a story. Our congregation has roots. We have a people. We have a place. We have a story. Jesus has roots. Jesus had a family line, a people. Last name Israel, people named Israel. Jesus had a homeland, a place, first century Palestine. Jesus has a heritage, a, a family story, the covenant story of, of God's people. Uh, and is this dramatic relationship with the God of the universe who extends his love to them. Yahweh, the great I am. Jesus has roots and he arises from the root of Jesse. 
I want to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verse 1. The easiest way to, I found to find Isaiah is you open about to the middle of your Bible. If you have one in print, you'll hopefully land in Psalms. Take a right. You'll go through Song of Solomon and Proverbs, and then you'll land in Isaiah. If you have a Bible that you turn on, it's a little, little different, a little quicker. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3a. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. This is the word of God for all of God's creation. Thanks be to God. So who was Jesse? Uh, not the overalls wearing Jesse who had the sons Bo and Luke Duke. A different Jesse. Bible Jesse. Who was Jesse? Jesse is the son, son of Obed. Who is Obed's folk family? Boaz and Ruth. Do you remember the story of Ruth? The tragic story of Ruth? You're talking about a family that has tragedy. Three husbands die, leaving mother-in-law and two daughters-in-law to, to fend for themselves. One daughter-in-law returns to her people. The other, Ruth, says to Naomi, I will not leave you. I will go where you go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Naomi and Ruth, they travel back to the homeland. They return. They, they have nothing. Fast forward a, a, a long story short. Boaz takes care of Naomi and Ruth and claims the right to marry Ruth. And Boaz did these things in a time when people did what was right in their own eyes. Boaz was generous and redeeming. He was their kinsman redeemer. And these were acts of Boaz, generosity and redemption that had an impact on future generations. Do you realize how we are will impact future generations? Not just in our families, but also in our church. Ruth and Boaz, their son was Obed, son of Jesse. Uh, Jesse had some boys. The, the youngest is David. David becomes the second king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, a, a type of Messiah in the Old Testament, a, a man of great faith. He was a musician who gave us many worship songs in the Psalms, a gifted worship leader, a gifted military leader, and he impacted future generations. Much later, the prophet Isaiah would, would look back to Jesse, the father of King David, and proclaim that a branch would grow from Jesse that would bear fruit. This time, the Messiah would be the perfect king. David had his faults, but this Messiah, this Messiah would be the king of kings, leading a righteous kingdom that would never come and never end. So like Jesus, you and I, we have a family line. We have a family home, hometown, a, a family store. You and I have roots. Did you talk about any of your family line, your hometown over Thanksgiving with family just a little bit? 
There's pain in the family line, isn't there? There's weariness. There's tragedy in the family line. There's also good things, good memories. Folks who sacrifice for children and grandchildren. None of our story is wasted or lost. Can you look back and see Jesus in your family line, your family story? See Jesus in the past hurts and the past pains. Can you see Jesus in the present and the future hope of your family story? As Isaiah is sharing about this coming Messiah in chapter 11, he's sharing it with a people who are coming face to face with destruction. And destruction is coming soon. There are people between warning and wonder, faithlessness and fidelity, compromise and conviction. And in chapter 11, he continues and he talks about the wolf dwelling with the lamb and the leopard lying down with the young goat. The cow and the bear grazing together. An infant that plays over the hole of a cobra. <laughs> a child who puts his hand on the adder's den. This hope, this promise. You and I can have life and really have life when we are rooted in Jesus. When we are rooted in Jesus, we can really have life. Paul writes this in Colossians 2. Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Halfway through chapter 11, Isaiah writes, in the day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people of him? The nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Isaiah is writing about the coming rescuing Messiah who will make all things right. And in the very next chapter, Isaiah holds a praise and worship session <laughs> for us. It's a full-on sprint from here for the next four weeks. There's so much to get done. There's so much to do. Calendar begins to dictate. Presents to purchase. Decorations to be placed. Christmas parties to be planned and be held. It can become overwhelming. Not only that, but it's a tumultuous year for many of us. There's full of, it's been full of unexpected dangers and uncertainties. And that's not likely to lighten up. It's, not, it's likely to get worse, perhaps. And yet, there's this larger story. A larger story that has a different calendar. A different way to track time. The awakening calendar, the Christian calendar, where we orient our lives around Jesus. And it starts with this season of Advent, where Jesus came vulnerable. And Jesus will return in power. I want to share Isaiah 12 as a means of worship today. And then shortly after that, we're going to stand and sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. 
In that day, Isaiah says, you will sing. In that day, you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. With joy you will drink deeply from the foundation of salvation. In that wonderful day you will sing, thank the Lord, praise his name. Tell the nations what he's done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Let the people of Jerusalem shout his praise with joy. For great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. On these gifts of bread and juice of the vine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast this heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.